Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. John 10, 1 through 10. Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. My wife and I were high school sweethearts. And one of our favorite, like, fancy places to go for a date was the Cheesecake Factory. How many of you have been to the Cheesecake Factory? Yeah. So, awesome. This will make sense. So, you know, if you've been to the Cheesecake Factory, especially for a high schooler, that going there isn't just a date, okay? It's an investment, right? Like, you've got to work a lot of hours at Panera to, you know, be able to go to the Cheesecake Factory. But we, I would save up and we'd go occasionally. It was one of our favorite places. And we'd pull up in my shiny 92 station wagon with burgundy cloth interior. I know you're jealous. I don't think that car ever had a new car smell. I think it just came musty. Like, that's just, that was the stock smell of... <laughs> 92 Fort Doris. Um, but we've, we've gone to the Cheesecake Factory, and since a lot of you have been there, you know that when you sit down at the Cheesecake Factory, the menu is uh, overwhelming, to say the least. So, like, you go, and they, set, they, they bring the menu to your table, and you're like, is this the Encyclopedia Britannica? And they're like, no, it's just the menu. You're like, oh my word, how? How is there... How there's so many things. And I thought, you know, this has been a while ago. So I looked it up to make sure that I was remembering this correctly. And it's in fact true. There are 250 items on the Cheesecake Factory menu. And their kids menu is, is bigger than most normal restaurants just menu. Like there are so many options. And I, I distinctly remember then that when we would go and as I would be reading through this dissertation of a menu, trying to figure out what I'm gonna get, I'd have to remind myself, I'd have to say to myself what maybe you have said to your kids before when they're having a hard time deciding you know, what they wanna eat. This is not your last meal. This isn't death row, like you'll have another meal. It's okay, like you will eat food again. So just make a decision. Like I would say that to myself, right? Because there's just so many options. Like when answering the question, what do I want for dinner? This is not life or death. This is not that big of a deal. I mean, I, I honestly don't think I could tell you what I had for dinner three days ago. I don't think I legitimately could. And maybe you couldn't tell me that either. But what we have this morning Unlike 
choosing an item off of the Cheesecake Factory menu that at the end of the day isn't that big of a deal. What we have this morning in John chapter 10 is a question that is, in fact, important for your life. And not only that, it's important for your eternity. And that question is this, who is your shepherd? And where are they leading you? Who is your shepherd? And where are they leading you? The answer to that question will radically change your life and will radically have an impact on your eternity. And so what we saw last week in John chapter 9 was this, this whole narrative of Jesus encountering this man born blind. He heals him. And then the rest of the chapter is pretty much this discussion between this man and the religious leaders and the people around about how did this happen? Who did this? And they just could not handle that the answer was Jesus Christ. And so they end up throwing this guy out of the temple. And then Jesus has a dialogue with this guy and with the religious leaders as well. As we enter into John chapter 10, it is very likely that this this man who was once born blind and the religious leaders are still standing there. Because what we saw in John chapter 9 was that these people, these religious leaders who are supposed to be the spiritual shepherds of the people of God, weren't leading people to God. They were in fact leading people away from God. And so with these people still kind of hanging around, Jesus grabs onto a really common picture to use as an illustration for what is going on with these religious leaders. And here's what he says, John chapter 10, verses one through three. He says this, everyone's still standing there. Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You see, for us, you probably haven't encountered a lot of sheep just in your day-to-day life generally. But back then in, in, the, in the ancient Near East, this was a very common picture where often families would have kind of like a, a, a flock of sheep, a small herd of sheep. And usually what they had was a sheep pen that was pretty close to their house. If not attached to their house, it would be kind of just, you know, just kind of off, you know, in the distance there. And these pens were so big that often multiple families would share the same sheep pen. And usually these sheep pens were made out of rocks, usually eight to 10 feet tall. They'd stack these rocks. It'd either be in a circle or it'd be in kind of like a square. And usually at the top of these rocks, they would put like thorns or briar bushes, kind of like a first century barbed wire, if you can kind of imagine that in your mind. And these, these sheep pens would have one door, one door to get in, one door to get out, same door. There's only one way in. And often what they would do, these multiple families would also hire a gatekeeper or a watchman to stand guard at this one door to make sure that the people who are getting in are supposed to get in and, the, and, and that the sheep who are supposed to stay in aren't getting out. So it makes total sense that anyone who entered by a different way than this door would be what verse one calls a thief and a robber. I mean, it isn't too different today. Maybe you've had the opportunity to lock yourself out of your house. Anyone done that? Lock yourself out of the house. If you've done that, uh, maybe that's why, maybe this was an occasion where you're like, we need to hide a key outside of our house. And oh, I guess no one will look under the mat, right? Like we all know where you put your keys. 
Like, but if you've locked yourself out of your house, maybe you've done the thing like me where I've walked around the house just praying that my children disobeyed just that one time and left the window unlocked. You know, you're like, please don't have listened to me so I can actually get into my house because the key isn't there. And so you find that window and once you find the unlock window, isn't it true that, that you're just trying to do, like get in this, in this, you know, most ungraceful, most unflattering way as quick as possible. You just want to get it over with. Like, I got to climb in, just get in my house. The reason why is because you know that anyone who sees you climbing through that window does not believe that that is your house. <laughs> it doesn't look like your house when you're climbing through the window. Because we know fundamentally that the way that you enter a location says a lot about whether you belong there. Like, if you come over to my house and you're supposed to be there, you're probably going to walk through the door. If you're coming over to my house and you're coming through the window, we might have a problem because you're probably not supposed to be there. It's the exact same thing here. Now, another thing to keep in mind, just from a contextual standpoint, is that during this time in the ancient Near East, shepherds would not often... Uh, drive sheep. If you wanted to take sheep into a particular location, what we often have in our mind is, you know, is someone, you know, on a horse or like a sheepdog, and they're kind of like coming from behind and kind of corralling all these sheep and kind of pushing them in a direction, but not here in the first century. Most often, the way that shepherds led their sheep was with a call. They didn't they didn't lead them through compulsion. They led them through calling them. They'd have little ticks, little sounds, little songs, little, little things that they do with their voice. And the sheep would hear a very particular sound of their, ver of their very specific shepherd. And they would know that's the person I'm supposed to follow. And so it makes a lot of sense that if you have multiple families sharing the same sheep pen, that it's really important that your sheep know your voice. Because that shepherd is going to come through the one gate. And that, that shepherd is going to make a very specific call. And the sheep who know his voice are going to come. And the sheep who don't know that call are going to run away, which makes total sense of verse 5 here in chapter 10, where it says, they will never follow a stranger Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. So, quite simply, this picture Jesus is painting here, very common back then, not as common to us today, is that sheep enter the sheep pen through one way. Shepherds enter the sheep pen through one way. And the shepherd that comes in knows his sheep and his sheep know him and they follow the voice of their shepherd. Now this, this basic picture is pretty simple, but what Jesus is doing is he's taking this common occurrence and he's saying something actually very offensive to the religious leaders of that day. Here's what he's saying to them. He's saying, you think that you are shepherds, but you're no shepherds at all. You are thieves 
and robbers. You are false shepherds. You haven't come to lead the sheep. You haven't come to serve the sheep. You've come to steal the sheep and to take from the sheep. You are false shepherds. I don't care what your title says. I don't care what your position here within the community, within Israel. You think that you're a big deal. You are false shepherds. That's what Jesus is saying. You see, a shepherd wasn't just someone who had a staff and a robe and cared for white fluffy sheep. Like shepherds, this was a common term used as a description of anyone in a position of leadership. Anyone in a position to lead and care for people according to God's ways. This is why all throughout the Old Testament, we see that the leaders of Israel are called shepherds. The shepherds of the people. This is why often kings were even called shepherds of the people, not just in the Bible, but in the ancient Near East. And so these religious leaders, as Jesus is saying to them, you are false shepherds, you are thieves and robbers. They would have known the context of Ezekiel 34, where God rebukes the leaders of Israel. And he says this in Ezekiel 34, he says, woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend to the flock. Jesus is saying, you're no shepherd at all. You guys are wolves in shepherds' clothing. Now, today, certainly today, there is still an abundance of false shepherds an abundance of false teachers. This is, this is, in fact, one of the roles of the elders of the church is to guard the church against false teachers, against false shepherds. There are still false teachers today with book deals and big social media who will say, come buy my book, give me money, and then you will have a better life. Or people whose message is not Look to Christ, exalt him, and submit to him as your Lord and master. But instead, people whose message is believe in yourself. Trust in yourself. Wash your own face. Define your own destiny. You define your identity. It's the spirituality of self-help. And while they tickle the ears of many, they line their own pockets. These are false shepherds. These are false teachers. Be discerning in the voices that you listen to. And while we must certainly guard against false teachers within the church, against these false shepherds, thieves and robbers aren't always just false teachers. I love the way that, that Kevin DeYoung says this. He says, thieves and robbers are anyone or anything that turns your attention away from Jesus. Anyone or anything that turns your attention away from Jesus. Do you want to know if, if the voice of another person is, is the voice of a false shepherd? Just look at what they are trying to turn your attention to. That'll tell you. Are they turning your attention and your affections toward the person of Jesus Christ? Or are they turning your attention and your affections toward anything else? So the question this morning is who is your shepherd? What in your life is turning your attention 
away from Jesus? Whose voice has the greatest influence in your ears? Is it the voice of Jesus through his word and through his people? Or is it the voice of your sexual desires? The voice of your career goals? The voice of your social status? The voice of your self-image? The, the voice that, that is constantly ringing in your ears as you look in the mirror and you walk out of the house and say, I wonder what they'll think of me. Will they think I'm attractive? Is it the voice of news articles, blogs, stock updates? Or maybe for you, it isn't so much outside voices, like the voice of other people or other things, but maybe the prevailing voice in your own ears is your own voice. Like you have become your own shepherd. Maybe it's your own thoughts, your own opinions, your own desires that drown out the voice of your shepherd. And not only that, but maybe you've also drowned out the voices of other sheep, of other people who are following Jesus. Like people who, who are striving to fix their eyes and tune their ear to the voice of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Maybe you have in fact when you've so amplified your own voice, your own thoughts, you have drowned out, you've all but muted the voice of anyone else who will say anything different than what you wanna hear, what you wanna think. Like when someone else comes alongside you and lovingly but boldly loves you enough to say, look, you're going the wrong direction. You're focused on the wrong things. But then maybe your response in that moment is, thank you very much for your opinion, but I'm gonna do what I wanna do. I'm gonna go where I wanna go. I just need to be true to myself. One of my favorite things as a parent, there's a lot of great things about being a parent. Uh, one thing that I particularly enjoy, it doesn't happen often, but when it does, uh, I really enjoy it. And that is when I overhear my kids helping one another live according to the rules of our household. Like I said, it doesn't happen often. <laughs> but when it does, when I hear one of my kids saying to the other, don't do that, you know we're not supposed to do that. Or when, or when we tell them to do something and one of them says, come on, let's go. Let's go do that. Let's go do what mom and dad said. That brings delight to my heart. And in the same way, you see, our job as brothers and sisters is not to massage each other's egos or to be unconcerned about each other's well-being, but our job as brothers and sisters in Christ is to love one another enough, to have the guts, to be bold enough, to come alongside one another. And when we notice one of us, one another, not focusing on Jesus Christ, going, going a direction that we know is against his good plan for our lives, is for us to snap our fingers in front of each other's faces and go, fix your eyes on our shepherd. He knows what he's doing. I know it doesn't seem like it makes sense. I know it doesn't seem like he knows where he's going, but he knows where he's going. He knows what he's doing. Fix your eyes back on our good shepherd, Jesus Christ. It's to come alongside one another when we fixed our eyes and tuned our ears on another voice. You see, your shepherd 
is whoever or whatever you follow as your ultimate authority. Whoever or whatever you follow as your ultimate authority. That's your shepherd. That's the primary voice in your ear. I know God says this, but I'm gonna do this. I know God says this about sexuality, but this is what I think. I know God says this about the way that relationships are supposed to function, but God says this. I know this is the way that I'm supposed to, that this is the attitude I'm to embrace toward my parents, toward my enemies. I know this is the attitude I'm supposed to adopt toward money and the purpose of my life, but I'm gonna do this. Your shepherd is whoever or whatever you follow as your ultimate authority. Brothers and sisters, don't drown out the voice of our good shepherd. Trust him. Follow him. Trust that he knows better than you do. Psalm 23, I, I love this image where, where it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Why would a shepherd have to make a sheep lie down in green pastures? It's because sheep don't know where the best place to lay down is. We don't ultimately know what is best for us, but our shepherd does. Listen to the voice of our good shepherd. Don't drown out the voices of other people who are striving to follow our good shepherd. Don't drown out their voices when they try to help you fix your eyes on him once again. Now, there's something else that Jesus says in all of this that is also offensive. He, he blasts the religious leaders for not being shepherds, but in fact being thieves and robbers. But he also says something that, that is, I think, particularly offensive to us kind of modern people. He says this in verse 9. He says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the only way to God. What Jesus is saying then is that Christianity is the only true religion. Now, some of you, when you hear me say that, you might say, that's precisely the intolerant, closed-minded exclusivism that makes Christianity so unpalatable and so antiquated. Like, how can you say that, that, you, that, that you alone, that your view of spiritual reality is the only right one? How can you say that? In fact, in a study as, uh, as recent as March of 2020, found that 63% of people who, who claim to be Christians, who identify as Christian, also believe that God accepts the worship of all religions. 62%, more than half of this room, believes that while, while I have chosen Christianity, God accepts the worship of all religions. Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, doesn't matter. All religions are equally true and all religions are equally acceptable before God. But there's a problem with that. There's several problems. One is that to say that all religions are equally true is to 
is to totally disregard the fundamental differences, the fundamental contradicting truth claims within all of those religions, is it not? Where, where Christianity says that Jesus Christ is God, Islam says that he's a prophet. Buddhism and Hinduism say that he's a good moral teacher. Well, which one is it? Like the, these are fundamental things that are very, very different. How can these things coexist? It cannot be that they are just equally true when they say such dramatically different things. It actually dis, it dishonors the the beliefs of individuals to, to so reduce their belief to just being the same as everything else. And not only that, but each religion has a very different claim about what it means to even be acceptable before God to begin with. So to say that all religions are equally true just won't do. Now maybe, maybe you're not in that camp. Maybe you don't say, well, I don't think all religions are equally true. I actually believe that all religions are equally flawed or like are, are equally um, deficient. There's a popular illustration that's used that kind of accentuates, if, if this is your view of religion, this illustration um, is often used, and it's, it's called the elephant in the dark. Maybe you've heard of this, where it goes something like this. So suppose you have an elephant who is standing in the dark, and you have six guys in the room who are all blindly feeling the elephant, and so you have one guy who's standing, who's feeling the leg, and this guy very dogmatically says, well, elephants are, are solid and stumpy. But you have, the, you have another guy in, in the room, in the dark, feeling the elephant, and he's feeling the, the trunk, and he says, no, 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 you, you have that all wrong. Elephants aren't solid and stumpy. Elephants are long and they're flexible. And then you have another guy who's like, what are you guys talking about? And, he, and he's, he's feeling the ear. And he goes, elephants, elephants are wide and they're thin and they're kind of floppy. And then you have another guy who's like, guys, and he's feeling the tail. And he's like, no, 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 elephants are, are short and they're kind of bristly at the end. And so as the illustration goes, in the same way that, that each guy in the dark has only a partial view of the whole, so the illustration is saying about religions that all religions are equally flawed and that they only have a partial view of the whole. And so people who kind of adopt this view of spirituality kind of like pick and choose from the various religions like, well, because they're all equally flawed, because they're all equally deficient, because they're all just describing a part of the whole, I'm gonna take a little bit from here and a little bit from here and a little bit from here. But here's the problem with that is that isn't it the case that the only person who is able to say that each one only sees a part of the whole is a person from the vantage point to be able to see the whole? You see, what, what gives you the superior vantage point to even be able to say they're only seeing a part of the whole? Is that not also an exclusive claim? What exclusive knowledge do you have to say, well, what they're feeling is an elephant. How do you know that? So all religions being equally flawed also won't work. Or you could also just, you could kind of go along the lines of Marx and Foucault and just say that, well, all truth claims are simply uh, power plays used to oppress other people. And, but isn't that in itself a truth claim that can be used to oppress other people? Do you see what's happening here? That regardless of your view of spiritual reality, all claims of knowledge of spiritual reality are just as exclusive as the claim of Jesus being the only way to God in Christianity. Everyone is exclusive. 
But the, different, the difference about Christianity is that Christianity has a unique resource. And here's what it is. It's that Christianity is the most inclusive, exclusive message in all the world. It's the most inclusive, exclusive message in all the world. Look back at verse 9. Maybe you missed it. If anyone inclusive enters by me exclusive, he will be saved. If anyone coming to Jesus, being accepted by Christ, is not on the basis of your condition. You see, what Jesus isn't saying is that any sheep who enters a sheepfold who is perfectly clean, who all their legs are working, who everything's good, they've got nice fluffy wool, they're, they're good-looking sheep. If that sheep comes, they can enter. No, no, no. What he says is anyone who comes through the door, anyone who comes this specific way, doesn't matter your condition, you could be a clean sheep, you could be a dirty sheep, you could be a fit sheep, you could be a sheep that has a limp for the rest of your life. You could be a whole sheep, you could be a broken sheep. So long as you enter by the door, you'll be saved. Christianity is the most inclusive, exclusive message in all the world. Anyone can come. So long as you come through Jesus, regardless of your condition, regardless of your past, Anyone can come. You see, there are many so-called saviors, so-called shepherds that promise life, but there is only one savior who can truly save. There's only one savior who, verse 10, has come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Yes, it is true. There is only one way to eternal life. There is only one way to the safety of God's sheepfold. There is only one way to abundant life. Yes, there's only one way to God, but anyone can come. Anyone. So back to our question this morning. Who is your shepherd? And where are they leading you? For those of you who have not yet entered God's family through faith in Jesus Christ, what keeps you? Receive Jesus this morning by faith. All you have to, the only thing you need to come to Jesus is to recognize that you're a helpless sheep in need of a shepherd. That's it. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. The only thing you need to come to Jesus is to recognize you're a helpless sheep in need of a shepherd. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, what does Lord mean? It means master, it means shepherd. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the good shepherd and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Receive abundant life in Christ this morning. Receive the only shepherd who will lead you to abundant life. What stops you from receiving Jesus this morning? Now, some of you, you've already received Christ. He's already your good shepherd. My question to you this morning is, are you following his voice? Or have you tuned your ear to the voices of lesser shepherds? 
Are you following as your ultimate authority the voices of lesser shepherds, of lesser voices, of lesser leaders in your life, of lesser desires? Are you hearing from our shepherd by spending time in his word? By spending time with other fellow sheep, brothers and sisters, who are striving to fix their eyes on our good shepherd? Tune your ear to him once again. Listen to his voice and trust that our good shepherd will in fact lead us to green pastures, will in fact lead us to abundant life. Who is your shepherd? Where are they leading you this morning? Let's pray. Jesus, you are the good shepherd. You are patient. You're slow to anger. You are abounding in steadfast love. Oh, Jesus, thank you for your patience with us who, like sheep, are so easily distracted, so easily led astray, so quick to succumb to fear and run away. But you continue over and over and over again to call us, to speak to us, to call us by name. Holy Spirit, would you help us to follow the voice of our good shepherd? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.